Well, welcome to Guerrilla Discipleship again, Tim and uh, Kevin here to talk with you about, well, how to be uh, effective disciple makers in the 21st century, what God has for us. We're so glad that you're here. What we hope is going to be a few weeks conversation around relational discipleship or relational evangelism. We're not talking about going out on the street corner. We're not talking about uh, handing out tracts. We're talking about just life-on-life, life, mm -hmm. conversations, friendships, the way that we normally do, and bringing spiritual realities into those things. Our goal throughout this is really to help you get away from the stereotypes of, oh my gosh, if, I, if, you know, if the church wants me to make disciples, they really want me to stand on the street corner. No, we want you to interact with the people that you're already interacting with, plus the people that God's going to lead you to in a relational mm -hmm. way that's going to build friendships, build connections, and ultimately allow them to experience and, and know the love of God. So today we want to tackle this idea of how did Jesus evangelize? And uh, so, Tim, yeah. how did Jesus evangelize? Yeah, I was thinking about this since last week. I was thinking about the story of the um, demoniac that was across the, the yes. Sea of Galilee and uh, how Jesus actually traveled the whole way across the sea, endured a storm. Yeah. People thought the ship was going to break up. He gets there. Uh, he finds this guy who over in the town completely just is disgusted by him, to say yeah. the least. Uh, he casts out the legion of demons. Uh, then at the end of the story, I, I think it's at least in Mark, maybe in Matthew too, the guy says, hey, can I go with you? And she says, no, 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 you're going you're gonna to stay here and you're yeah. going to tell people about who I am. And then it says he goes on to Decapolis. And so I, it kind of hit me last week when we were talking about all this stuff, just how, um, how Jesus was willing to go a whole way across an ocean. Mm. Ocean, I mean, it's a sea, right? Or a giant lake sure. to go after the one person um, who was maybe a person of peace or someone who um, he wanted to, to share and how he, that encounter wasn't just a spiritual healing, but there was also some sort of physical piece to it as well, too, maybe even mental in that guy's yeah. case. So, yeah. Well, the, man, everything you're saying there opens up a whole can of worms for me on lots of levels because not only was Jesus willing to do to, to sacrifice and to get other people to go with them, mm -hmm. but it really cost some some people there. He, if you remember that story, yeah. he cast the demons out of this man and into pigs. They asked him, yeah, and then so all the pig farmers lost their crop. They lost yeah. their whole uh, their whole. You know, they don't have a crop of pigs. What do you have? You have a herd of pigs, herd. I guess. Um, and so it was a costly thing. In fact, they asked him to leave. Yeah, they said, "We're not sure who you are, but but we don't want you." And so. It does sort of give a great picture of the reality is as we bring the kingdom of God into places where God has us, mm -hmm. uh, it always it's not always going to be fun and games. No. Uh, but there's this one man, I love what you're saying, there's this one man that God cares so much about. No one cares about him. Mm -hmm. He's chained up, away from people, he's out of control, but Jesus goes and sets him free. So how did Jesus essentially evangelize this guy? What did he, what did he do? Yeah, um, I think you asked him a few questions, right? Well, he, yeah. he actually he asked him what his name was. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, the, and the demons were speaking and said, my name is Legion, or my yeah. name is Legion. And then he cast them out. So kind of his method of, of evangelism, if you want to see that in, in one sense, was to bring the power of God's kingdom to mm -hmm. bear on the needs of the people around him, which he did often. Yeah. He did with the woman at the well who was struggling. He did it with the woman called in adultery. He did it with all of those folks. Uh, the who Syrophoenician were, woman. Who yes. Was, uh, 
who's clean on him when he's trying to go and retreat. Yeah, yeah. who's blind, but he did the blind, the, the lame, the beggars, yeah. the... the uh, so one of the best ways that we see Jesus doing uh, evangelistic work was to bring the power and the presence of the kingdom into people's lives, mm-hmm. the healing that they needed, the blessing, the, the encouragement that they needed. So that's what... We get to be messengers of hope. We get to be... Uh, authors of recon- not authors of but but um, witnesses to reconciliation. So it really is a privilege to do this. And uh, d- d- Tim and I were just talking a minute ago about how many converts, how many people did Jesus have at the end of his life? And the best we could come up mm-hmm. with is 120. So all these thousands, he fed thousands of people. He healed hundreds of people. Or we don't really know how many. Uh, traveled throughout the region, and at the end of his life. There were only 120, which brought us to another conversation that we'll, we'll sort of share with you, and that is that Jesus' idea of evangelism wasn't conversion, it was discipleship. It yeah. was followership. Mm-hmm. He didn't ask people to believe in him right off. He said, follow me yeah. or obey me. And so, in a sense, what we're, what we're doing is reframing evangelism outside of this idea that I just stand on the street corner or preach in a coliseum mm-hmm. or whatever. And not only are we saying it's very relational, but it's not so much about conversion. Yeah, It's about inviting people to begin to obey Jesus, yeah. to begin to, to live the way he did and see the benefits of what that life is. To replicate like. his lifestyle and to, we use the word all the time, apprenticeship. Yes. It's like, hey, you might not always believe what I believe or want to do what I want to do, but just follow me and I'm going to show you how to do it. And then once yeah. you follow me, that hopefully works with obedience and then behavior and action. And then the belief kind of follows. And I think in modern times, we kind of say, oh, you just need to pray this one prayer, believe this one right. thing. And then hopefully your behavior will change after that. And he doesn't seem to do any of that. He doesn't seem to ask, I don't know how we got here, but Jesus doesn't seem to ever go up to someone and say, hey, will you pray this prayer, this sinner's prayer with me? Huh? Uh, not that I, I think there's <laughs> anything wrong with the sinner's prayer, yeah. but... It's not Jesus's model of evangelism. The other thing uh, that maybe we should mention here about how Jesus did, did evangelism or, or was relational in, in his disciple making is that he went to where the people were. Yeah, he went there. Um, we've kind of changed that. Tim, help me. You, you're the wise young man. How did we get from Jesus sending us out to make disciples in the world oh, man. and Jesus' model of making disciples out in the marketplace to let's sit in church and bring people to church programs? Uh, I think I don't, I don't, I'm not an ecclesiologist, so I can't tell you the church Ooh, history. Ecclesiologist, he's using big terms. I would, I would think it's rooted in the fact that... Uh, Many of us just like comfort, and we've kind of professionalized pastorship. Oh, yeah. Boy, that's and good. so um, we could probably look over church history where we've seen like ebbs and flows and stuff. But I'm thinking, in like, particularly in the past hundred years in the U.S., we've said, "Hey, we want to have a larger church. Hey, we want to have more stable church. Hey, let's hire someone to oversee the church full time." And then so the the pastor starts taking on more work, and then just do sermons, and then ministries and programs. And then I think that's all connected to that, as well as people being comfortable, as well as. Um, I don't know, I said ecclesiology, because I'm thinking like church history. I don't think before the 1900s in the United States or most of the world that that was really an an issue. I think it's kind of said like, now that we're paying someone to do it, they're the professionals. You know, Um, we've, it it just occurs to me while you're talking, we've segmented or or separated out, like we see missions almost the way Jesus saw evangelism. Yeah. He, he, and disciple making, 
we've separated out. If you're going to go somewhere, we call that missions. Yeah. Uh, we're on a missions trip. We just had a bunch of our uh, youth go on missions trips, yeah. even within the country, yeah. even within our, our, our uh, not our state. They went to West oh, Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. Um, but we called that a mission trip. Whereas Jesus would have said, this is disciple making. I'm going, I'm going to serve the people, yeah. and I'm going to invite them to know my kingdom. Going to the gym is a mission trip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For, for, for Jesus, a, a yeah. missions trip would be going to the gym or going to the market to yeah. get food, going yeah. to Safeway. Or if you don't like Safeway, Giant. Or if you don't like Giant. Aldi's. Aldi's, Aldi's. We, we love Aldi's <laughs> at Oakdale. So, so Jesus' method, we've, I, I love your word there, professionalized it. And the problem is, by doing that, professionalizing it, we have removed 95% of the, of the disciple-making workforce because now the people in the, in the church think it's their job to pay mm-hmm. for us to do the work. Uh, so we're supposed to be doing the ministry, but the Bible says, we're way off where I thought we were going to go, but this is good stuff. The Bible says that our job, Tim and I, are really to equip you to do the work of the ministry, which is what we're trying to do here, is is to say, look, we want to equip you to just simply do what Jesus did, which was to care enough about people. I love what Tim started with. Care enough about people to travel uh, distances, to meet with them, set them free, bring the kingdom of God realities Mm -hmm. into their lives, and, uh, and then charge them. What was great is the man wanted to hang with Jesus, as Tim said, and Jesus said, no, go tell the people in these 10 cities all that God has done for you. He immediately said, I want you to become a disciple maker. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it, it was no training. He didn't bring them in church for three years. He didn't give them to the seminary. We would call that a short-term mission trip. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want exactly. to cross the lake. We were on a boat. Yes. We saw this random guy from a different town who believed right. differently. And he was completely changed. And then we came back and acted the same. And, <laughs> and so, and Jesus did spend different amounts of time. Mm-hmm. Like he, I think, was discipling Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We yeah. could, we could, or he evangelized them. Um, but often Jesus just went into a town. They had encounters with him. And then he moved on. Yeah. So it was very relational in one sense. But he... He was so burdened by the fact that there were so many people who had not yet heard. Mm-hmm. He didn't just say, well, I'm going to be here with these three. That's it. And, and I'm going to spend my Disciple mind. this person on one-on-one for the next 30 years. Exactly. Yeah. And so um, there seems to be a confidence because at the end of his life, and John 17 is this great priestly prayer, he says, I've finished the work you gave me to do, which is amazing. He had confidence in the Father that if I will do what you've asked me to do, you'll make sure all of what's needed is added in. You'll mm-hmm. ca- take care of all of the, the details. I just You're just asking me to do something. So in relational evangelism, that's what we're calling this, we really are not converting. We're not asking people to get to the place necessarily where they can just declare. Mm-hmm. We're asking people, would you, do, you know, kind of, helping them to see the spiritual realities and inviting them to begin to obey spiritual realities as Jesus taught us. Is that a fair statement? I think that's perfect, yeah. And, and so that's a, that's a very different view. So for instance, you're at work and, uh, and one of your coworkers has got a problem. Maybe they have a problem with their kid or a problem in their marriage or whatever it might be. And you now have a chance to relationally share the gospel with them. How would you do that? Well, it might be, 
you know, I, I, I don't know if you know this or not, I'm a Christian, or in the scriptures, this was what it said. You don't have to highlight that, but to just say, I think what yeah. God would do is, or invite you to do, is choose this. Yeah. And you're offering them a decision of obedience that then helps them to begin to make a life of obedience out of that. I find it easy to say things like, um, hey, it sounds like you really could use some hope right now, or you're really mm. hopeless. What, you know, I've, I've been, and then you like empathize and associate. I've been through a really tough time. I've had situations, yeah. and it's not quite the same, but where yeah. I find my hope was in God. And like, oh, that's interesting, and kind of like see if they like, oh, that's interesting, tell me more. If you see their eyes or they kind of like roll them. Right. Then I don't go any farther, but I'm like, oh, they're kind of shaking and nodding the head. And then I go like, oh, well, would you like to like, would you like to talk more about that sometime, or would you like to know more about that? Because I could, I could share like some, some verses or some, you know, poetry or some, right. some of some words that have helped me in my faith to, to grow and to to push, persevere and push on through this. And they go, sure, why not? And um, and that way you're kind of building that like relation, like you're not just like, yeah, study you're, God's you're, word. You're not, yeah, yeah, you're not just throwing the word and the truth is none of us like that i'm a i'm a obviously a christian i'm a pastor i don't like it when people just quote the bible at me (laughs) i I mean if they do it in a relational way but if someone comes up and just you know well kevin here's what it says in the bible it's like okay thank you uh but i i i don't want to be treated to um what sometimes feels like they're just showing me how much great bible knowledge they have that doesn't help my life. Jesus didn't walk around just quoting. He knew the, I mean, he is the author of the yeah. word of God. Uh, he is the word of God, but he didn't just go around quoting it. He actually placed the word of God into contexts, into circumstances, into conversations where it made sense and it was a teaching tool. It was a It was a helpful uh add to what people were going through. I think people appreciate that. It's the, let me just kind of give you my standard, you know, do you know where you're going to die tonight or where you go if you die tonight? I mean, those are, there's a time and place perhaps for those questions. There might be in a conversation where someone is really needing to get focused on what is this all about? Um, But for the most part, relational evangelism in the way that we see Jesus doing it is what we've been calling Shema. Mm-hmm. It's it's that lifestyle of going and serving people, bringing God's kingdom and his reality to. It could be as simple as praying for someone. You know, I don't have an answer to what you're going through, but I do want, I, can I pray for you? That opens the door, again, for spiritual conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't think I can emphasize or we can emphasize this enough. This is a conversation. If I have a relationship with someone, mm-hmm. I don't just, I have a relationship with Tim. We have, we have a friendship. We're, mm-hmm. we're uh, colleagues at work here. But the reality is I don't usually just open the door and say, Tim, you know, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, do not trust in your own way. You know, I, we don't just do that. We don't quote Close the door. And we walk and close away. the door and walk away. <laughs> hey, I feel good. I, I, I slammed a Bible verse at you. Uh, most people are not going to respond to that, and we don't see Jesus doing that. What we see Jesus doing is is actually, I would say, uh, often between two C's. Uh, and I don't mean C's as in S-E-A's. I mean two-letter C's. He showed compassion to people mm-hmm. who were hurting and in need, and he confronted spiritual arrogance when it was needed to be confronted. Those are the two ways that I see Jesus dealing. With the Pharisees, he was obligated. He felt an obligation, I think, to go to his own people. They ultimately rejected him, as we know. But 
he confronted them often about their spiritual arrogance, their stiff-neckedness. And, uh, and, but in the middle of that, he also showed them how to have compassion on those that they were supposed to be uh, compassionate towards. So in the middle of, of uh, his testing, that often the religious leaders would test him, he would show them how to take the word of God, how to take the, the life of the kingdom and apply it in a gentle, compassionate way to a woman who's caught in adultery, who they wanted to judge and, and stone. And uh, Jesus said, yeah, let's, let's do that. As long as the one who doesn't have any sin starts it. And they all walked away, remember, from that woman. And Jesus, I love this, he said, they, where are your accusers? And then he said, I'm not going to accuse you either. I'm not going to condemn you either. But he was the one who could have cast a stone. And so if he doesn't cast stones, then how dare us mm-hmm. even think about casting stones when we are all guilty of sin? But he also confronted sinfulness mm-hmm. by inviting them out of it, by saying, hey, this lifestyle that you're leading is... It's, it's not, he told the woman, yeah. don't, don't continue in this lifestyle. And so it's a difficult balance, but it was relational. The woman walked away from that. She may, we don't know. There's not a lot in the scripture that tells us, but my sense is the woman walked away from that feeling. I got protected by God. He showed me love. He didn't shame me. He honored me and he gave me hope and, and invited me to live into his kingdom truth. That's what evangelism is. Mm-hmm. That's relational. That's Jesus' way of, of relational evangelism. But again, there are times when, in the context where um, it may take some confrontation, where we are dealing with someone who is, as the Bible says at times, yeah. stiff-necked. Yeah. Uh, and it may be, and none of us are comfortable with that. Yeah. But even confrontation, I think, is done in the context of relationship. Yeah. I actually have a really cool story that happened this past week that I can share. That I, I love that. I'm going to have coffee while you tell your story. Um, I think of just how relational evangelism, how it takes time and how it takes compassion. Um, where we were a pastor before in Pennsylvania, outside of Hanover, uh, we had a next door neighbor who was known as the wild neighbor, more mm. or less, uh, by some of the other neighbors. But uh, Sasha and I continued to just always be friendly in the backyard. Our backyards touched, always loving, always being caring. Um, found out that her boyfriend. Uh, what had uh, broken his femur? He was somehow connected oh. to, the tr- to the church we were at. Uh, couldn't work, and th- things were hard. And so we said, "Hey, we're gonna, as a church family, at least feed these people for a couple months as best as we can." So for once a week, everyone took food over, and we were always talking. And our dog got lost, and always loving on her, and just caring for her and being present. And and I didn't really think it got anywhere. Uh, wow. Just like okay, well, you know, here for a few years. You know, at least we didn't, you know, weren't mean to her like some of the other neighbors were. Didn't know her story. Didn't know anything behind it. Uh, comes to find out, like, maybe six to eight months ago, she had, like, a come-to-Jesus moment. We are wow. like, driving down the road. She parked in the... I don't remember the whole thing. It was, like, a Facebook post. Um, and uh, someone came in the parking lot and was like, hey, God told me to talk to you and prayed with her. And then she was, like, in tears. And then I sent her a message, like, hey, by the way, you know, wow. I definitely think that was God if you want to talk more. And we talked for a little bit. And it, 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 was, it, was, it was really neat. And then... That was it. Didn't know anything about it. I did know that more things had come out, that she had been in recovery for so many years, and mm. she had been on a journey, and she started going to church. And it was really awesome that she was growing in her faith. And then I finally get a message. I think it was um, maybe a week ago from today, and she says, hey, uh, can I talk? And I was like, I've never talked to this person before in my life more than wow. like five minutes. 
And I ended up, she ended up calling me on the phone through, through Facebook Messenger because I don't even have her number. Wow. Um, I don't even know if I even know her last name. Um, and, uh, she and, traveled across a, a um, what would you say that? A virtual divide. A virtual divide. A virtual <laughs> sea to get to you. And just like, hey, I'm in a really bad spot right now. My, um, I'm not only is all my, you know, my history. I was like, no, I don't. But okay. And she told yeah. it to me. And I've been struggling with this and struggling with that. And now I'm done doing with them. Um, dealing with my uh, grandparents who raised me on hospice care and just wow. was with her and present with her and prayed with her and gave her some scriptures and encouraged her to go see her and she was just so grateful about all those things but I just kind of think about like how for two years she planted seeds mm. loved it on her people everyone else in the neighborhood was like so you good. don't want to be over there or you don't want to talk to her or you know just like just rude people in neighborhoods yeah. I was like no well well, love on doesn't matter. I mean, we're going to love on this family. If she has a living boyfriend, you know, that doesn't mean we can't love on her and show compassion. Other people in the community, I'm sure, had other thoughts and ideas. Um, but eventually something broke through. It didn't happen in one month or one year. Right. And then when that time did happen, it came because other people were watering and other people were planting. That's so good. And then she came running back and saying, hey... I was like, well, are you like, are you connected in the community? Do you need to go celebrate recovery? And so she's going to celebrate recovery at a biker church. And, awesome. Uh, she's going to be going to one. And then I was like, she's like, actually, I've been going to this church. It's not the one you're at. And I was like, I don't care. Yeah. Like, they've been really encouraging me and they've been helping me. I was like, this is awesome. I had no clue. That and so, so I was just good. super excited to, you don't know what you're going to do and right. impact. And that one little phone call, I was like, wow, all that effort. And it came out work. of a relationship. It came out of being it, it literal came, neighbors. Exactly. Yeah. But you were not an angry neighbor. You were a <laughs> I had many neighbor. reasons to be angry. Late night fireworks and people yeah. driving motorcycles when I have a infant sleeping in the back. Wow. You know. Wow. But I was like, you know what? That's it's not worth. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I mean, those are the kinds of stories that are I love that because it's not always immediate. By the way, and to say a little bit more about Jesus's mo- uh, model or style of, of relational evangelism, uh, Jesus really let people walk away. Mm-hmm. He not, he would not force people. I mean, he knew what was he knew that this was life or death, hell or and heaven. For Jesus, I mean, he spoke often about hell. Uh, he knew the realities of heaven. This was not uh, that Jesus didn't care, but he knew that you don't force people into the kingdom. You you invite people. You woo people. You allow God to draw people into his kingdom. But God does the drawing. Mm-hmm. He does the wooing. Mm-hmm. He does the seeking. He allows the circumstances to get to that place. But he asks us to partner with him by being witnesses and signposts and markers along the way. It's over here. Hey, the kingdom is over here. And to be the kind of people who live our, our, our faith life out loud enough, boldly enough, that people would go, I'm going to talk to Tim. Now, uh, part of the thing that goes along with being a pastor is if people know you're a pastor, they, you know, that's a pretty big, <laughs> that's a neon sign, spiritual guy over here. It's not, sometimes it's a turnoff. It's uh, a I, turn off. I, Yeah, but it, it's, so if the question would be, I mean, some of the questions I would ask you is, if the people around you that you work with, that you go to the pool with, play pickleball with, if they were struggling, would they even know mm. enough about your life to know that you're a, a person of prayer, a spiritual person, a person who attends church, or a person who's a part of the community, a person who knows God? A person it, they could even trust or talk it, it, to. Exactly. Yeah. If they don't know that about you, then how can you ever be a witness to them? How mm. could you ever be of service to them? And that would then mean that you'd have to become one of the street corner people, right? But just living our lives as open followers of Jesus, not in a pushy way, not in an arrogant way, 
But there's always, God is going to always give us opportunities to own our faith in front of other people. And one of the best ways that we can be like Jesus is to be clear that we are children of God, that we are kings, the king's kids, that we believe in Jesus as our savior and king. When we begin to learn how to live that out naturally, just like I live out naturally that I'm a, a married man, I live out naturally that I'm a father, you know, those are not things that are hidden. I, I bring them up in conversation often. Now, I mean, married, I have a, a ring on, um, you know, Maybe back in some day, there was a place where if you wore a cross, people would go, oh, you must be a spiritual person. Today, they're just jewelry. They're just decorations. Yeah. But there are ways in, in, I think, that are not offensive, but we can begin to be people of faith. Hey, how about uh, praying at work? How about having a Bible at your desk or talking about maybe as a, a, you hear something in church or you see something in the scripture and say, you know, I read something really interesting yeah. in, the, in the Bible. Can I share that with you? I think it's really easy when people say, how was your weekend? All you have to say is, it was really good at church we did or with my yes. church friends or we had a good, and just throw it into what you already did. I think a lot of times we filter that out like, yes. oh, I had a 4th of July party and I went to Silento's house and we forget to say, Oh, I actually spent a real, like I had a powerful worship, or my pastor preached a good message, and people yeah. are like, oh, I think we kind of. Like, I didn't even know you went to church. Yeah, you, I, I get that asked time all the time in the gym yeah. by this one guy. How was your weekend? And I, you know, throw it out. Oh, at the church we did this, and oh, we went on a men's retreat. Awesome. And you only say the sermons are good though when you're preaching. <laughs> no, that would be too prideful. <laughs> That's true. All right, there you go. That was an okay sermon this week. The other guy preached. Hey, here we are inviting you, and and I want to leave with this. Um, I want to challenge you, mm -hmm. uh, and I think Tim hopefully will agree with this. The challenge being to live more boldly with your friends. This week, mm -hmm. it, it, we're not asking you to do anything other than somehow make it clear to the people you work with, to your family, this is even in your own family, that you are a follower of Jesus. Um, however you choose to do that, pray about it. Ask God, God, how can I be more out loud with my faith? How can I be more um, clear that I'm a follower of yours? Uh, ask God for that because your personality, where you are, the people that you're with, uh, it may be that God's going to invite you into something in that that he wouldn't invite me or Tim or mm -hmm. whatever because, well, God knows your personal situation. Would you be willing to this week, I, I'm just challenging you to take a step out in terms of openness that you are a follower of Jesus. Maybe that will be something as bold as saying, hey guys, in your home, hey guys, we don't often pray for dinner. Could I just ask you to pray with me and thank God for this meal? For some of you, you may be like going, oh my goodness, Kevin, you, no, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Watch what Even God on social does. media, you can say, hey, this is something that really spoke to me. Yes. And share a video or a scripture or an image. And even that's like not as confrontational or face-to-face, -face, but that's still a way of being spiritually yeah. obvious. You could even send this video out, a link to this video and say, you know what? I've been watching these crazy guys and uh, the truth is... I really, something about this resonated with me and I just thought I would share it. Whatever, uh, obviously, we're, this is you know, totally self-seeking to get you to multiply out what we're, what we're talking about here. But just make yourself known mm -hmm. as a follower of Jesus in some way and see what God does with that. See what conversations might come. And again, 
You can't plan these conversations, but God will be with you in the middle of it. Just be honest, be open, be vulnerable, uh, and be willing to be bold. Boldness is what the disciples prayed for almost all the time. The apostles prayed for bold. Help us to be bold. And in our culture, boldness is not rudeness, or we're not looking at it to be rudeness. It, boldness is simply allowing yourself to be who you are regardless of the consequences, regardless of the fact that some people might look at you strange. But would you step into some boldness around your faith this week? And then uh, next week, we're going to talk a little bit uh, about the goal uh, of um, what am I asking, of asking versus, telling. versus telling. I Sorry, I was trying to read my note there. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about the difference between asking and telling. A lot of people think about evangelism as telling. We want to show you that evangelism is, I think, more about creating an environment where there's asking. Mm -hmm. Tim, you got anything else to close us out with? Uh, do the challenge. There you and go. And I think the hardest part for me, or just in general, is I think God always provides the opportunity for us to be bold. We just self-select or filter it out. And so I encourage you to be unfiltered. So when someone says, mm -hmm. how was it? This, okay, this is what I want to say, and then say it. Don't think, yes. this is what I want to say. Oh, I can't say that. Or I might be offended. Just... just don't I, filter that yourself out. I've heard Tim say before, all it takes is three seconds of courage. Yeah. I like I that. I saw it from someone, but... That's all right. I'm stealing from you. <clears throat> Thanks for joining us here. As always, comment, email us, kbaker at oakdale.church, tparker at oakdale.church. Help us to know how we can do better, how we can help you. Uh, share us with your friends. We're friendly guys. We want to build relationships with those that you love. Bless you, and we'll see you again next week. Bye. Thank you.